This is Sights and Sounds. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and my guest today is Rusty Hendricks of Confederate Railroad. Rusty, how's your day going? Oh, man, just going just fine, having a good time. Now, we're down here in Evansville. We're in the green room that happens to be blue today. Mm -hmm. We've had a chance to do a little talking at other concerts, and you're a fun guy, which is why I wanted to interview oh, you. Thank you. Tell the, the listeners who your musical influences were growing up. Oh, well, uh, lots, of course, Chet Atkins, I guess, when I was a little kid, Daddy had some of his records, and then, um, let's see, well, anybody from the era, you know, CCR, when I first started playing, you know, Creedence Clearwater, and then, uh, you know, just, you talk about, with, for for railroad or just for you wherever for you oh you talk, okay when I when I'm young yeah when of course Skinnerd you know I'm 63 years old so I was all into that all the Leonard Skinnerd the Southern rock and I learned to play listening to a lot of the Swampers Muscle Shoals but we lived in Atlanta my dad was a preacher and I was around Atlanta was a big music town so and then my first cousin Jimmy Rutherford was actually the first guitar player with a band called Starbuck that had a song called Moonlight Feels Right, but he quit before they ever had their hits. He went to work for Ford, and then he was a world-class bluegrass guitar player. Played in underground Atlanta, and he got he helped me out, so I had a lot of influences back then. So your dad was a preacher, so mm -hmm. did you grow up singing in the church? Not much. Uh, I mean, youth groups and stuff, you know, I played guitar, but I lived so far out in the sticks. I mean, it was just mainly just hymnal stuff and what youth, what kids did you know, back then, but it wasn't like today's gospel music where there's a lot of it. I just wasn't really a radical, but what, I... What kind, what kind of church did your dad preach at? He's Southern Baptist. He's a, he went to seminary in New Orleans, and he was a Southern Baptist preacher and a missionary. Well, that's pretty Associational missionary, yeah. So he, I, I was a preacher's son, so I got dared to do everything, and I did some of it. You used <laughs> a PK. Yes, I was, all the way. <laughs> Rusty, now, before you started playing guitar, and doing some backup singing here with Confederate Railroad, you played with some pretty famous other country artists. Yes, uh, played with uh, Sammy Kershaw and some with Lori Morgan before I came out here, and then before that I played with Mark Wills when he got hot, and we we were the opening act for Randy Travis, and we were the then we were on the George Strait tour, so that was quite an experience. It's nothing but arenas for a year or so. so. Now, who was that you were playing with, George Strait? Which George Strait? Oh, no, which which artist were you with? Okay. Uh, uh, oh, Mark Wills. Mark Wills. Yes, and then he was, uh, and then Mark when we were the opening act for Andy Travis. Mark used to sing one of my songs that I'd written. Uh, me and another guy had written there, and it's a song called "She Never Smiles." It never got on his records, but it was. I don't know if it's politics or what, but he, he was a big ballad singer, and uh, it's. I've got a copy of him. Uh, he, in fact, he gave me one where it was a live tape. Like that, he well, he sent it to my phone and him singing the song live. He used to do it in his show, but I had never made an album. I wished it had because it would have helped my bank account. Yeah. Back when that that double platinum album. Well, maybe he'll come out with it. I hope he does. Like, I hope he a lot does. of these artists come out with all this stuff and they pull it pull it out of the cellar, whatever yeah, you want to call it, it. It was real. He started out in Atlanta and it was his most requested song at the Buckboard. Because he showed me that one, and we were over there playing in Atlanta, and they people called it out, and he did it in the show. But it was it was a ballad, and it was a it was one of the band that I was with. We were trying to get our record deal. We did a couple of sides for Warner Brothers, but 
uh, we played, that's how, we all played the same club with Railroad. Travis Tritt was there, a place called Miss Kitties in Marietta. And it was Travis Tritt, Little Texas, the band I was in, uh, God, I forget, just a lot of the people that were the up and comers back then that were, you know, were coming up, got to play and, and we just did ours, record politics, do a couple of sides for Warner Brothers and we thought we were gonna get it and it just, it, it never happened for us. So I just, after that, I left the band and went out on the road as a hired gun, just playing guitar for, you know, Greg Holland and then later Mark Wills. And, so you talk about being a songwriter. Uh -huh. Mark sang one of your songs for a while. You had a number one bluegrass song yes. that you wrote called That Old Country Road. Old County Road. County Road. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's I, hey, I can't read my own writing. Everybody does it. When you look at it, country and county looks it, the same. Exactly. Yeah, a guy named Shannon Slaughter that, uh, that did it. He and, I, he and I wrote it. It was one of those songs I had about half written that laid around for about 10 years. The house, and we were talking one day, and I said, I said, played a little bit of it. He said, is that it? He said, do you mind if I finish that? And I said, no, I was cutting up with him. I said, put it on your next record, finish it up and put it in. He said, okay, well, mate. he did. And and the record label, when they heard that, they said, there's your single. And it went out and it it got on the Grammy list, not the, the final five, but it was in that, which made you feel good, you know, man. It, it debuted at number two when it came in off that record and it ran number one and it came out it plopped uh, down the charts again, you know, the next week or what, and then I think it hit number one again, and it went in, you know, the charts you know, change every week and that stuff. So yeah, we got got real, real lucky with that. And it was, I'm proud of it. It's one of my better songs, if I do say so myself. It's just a fun song about growing up in a town like Mayberry where I, well, 800 people and two cops, you know, town drunk. I mean, we we did. I mean, it's amazing how it was, but everybody went to, you know, church. If I did something wrong at school, you know, the half of the teachers sang in a choir with my mother, so you know, you know somebody's going to hear about it, you know. But, yeah, it, it was, it's, a, it's a fun song. You tell, you know, people listen to it. It's... It makes you feel good, especially if you grew up small. Well, as like soon as I, you told me that, I I went and looked it up and listened to it that night. Yeah, it's, it's a I happy tune. It. Yeah, very very fun song. So, when did you start getting into songwriting? Probably, uh, really in my in my early to mid twenties. I had a couple of well, actually, Solid Ground. That's on that's on Mo's album. Yep. I wrote that song when I was 28 years old in probably 30 minutes. I just wrote that in myself and I'd had a couple of more that, that are still older tunes that I, that I like that I wrote myself that I didn't co-write with anybody. But I, I started really getting into it then. And, uh, you know, I piddled with it when I was a kid learning how to play, just making up a song or something, you know, here and there. But I always, always liked the songwriters and the way, the, you know, listen to the songs, you know, the lyrics and stuff like that. Now, when you're writing a song, do you like to, do you, do you, I'm trying to think I, do you write the music first or do you write the lyrics first? Uh, it, it varies. A lot of times, uh, well, Solid Ground, I just started writing it, but a lot of times I'll come up with a chorus first and have, you know, and have some music, like a signature lick or something on guitar or something like that, and then write a chorus. And then I'll come in and fill in behind it, you know, with a verse or something. And then if I'm co-writing with somebody, 
you know, that was always the, my thing was coming up with some kind of a funky guitar lick or something in here. Uh, do you like to co-write or do you like to write better? I, I probably, well, I like to write, but I, I probably do better if I find a, another writer that's on the same wavelength. That's when you do, you know, a lot of times that's where the magic happens. I know the She Never Smiles, the one that Mark did and stuff that that guy was in the band with, uh, Night Owl, when we were trying to get our record deal and we recorded, we've got a, we put out a, a CD and stuff, but it was just basically demo tapes for the record company. And he and I wrote everything on that album, you know, and, and stuff that didn't, that we didn't put on the album. So we had, we had a pretty good, I guess, a chemistry, so to speak, you know, back then we could, we roomed together on the road, and then sometimes we call each other back in the day, talk on a speakerphone, have a guitar, say, "Hey, man," and we would we would do that, and then we would put it together to rehearsal or something like that, you know, for, and then just show the rest of the band because we had to do you know original stuff then when we were we were opening act for different bands, up and coming bands, and we could play our own stuff. And we played it in the clubs, but we didn't say, "Hey, here's one of our songs." We just played it. And watch the people's reactions. That's how you tell if you got a song or something. You just start playing it, and people come up. Hey man, oh, what was that song y'all? Oh, that's one of ours. Yeah, play it again. You know, and it, it that way you don't have to force it. You know, because back then in the clubs, people you know people want to hear what they hear on the radio, and hear other songs and dancing. And then when you just throw it in, you don't and you don't do ten songs a night. You do you know one or two, just depending on the mood of the crowd and what they are. And then that's you can tell people don't lie acts railroad anybody else you go out and you do a new album or something like that you play it or back in the day and, and you know you have the record label people in nashville that that would do stuff you know here's your the a and r guys well here's your single and you'd be playing well this this song goes over better than that because the crowd don't lie you know when you're playing live you can and, and you get the same reaction every night you know it's got trashy women's a fine example of that you know that's did they play that as a not a single the, the record company I think did? I don't I'm not Danny could tell you more about it how it all came about but you know it's like he says at night when we play that was the one you know USA Today said it was the worst song they'd ever heard and stuff like that and then when you it just took off and some songs do that you know because the I've always a lot of the A&R and the record people they're not out on the road. If you play, you know, the people's who you got it. That, you see their eyes. When somebody's sitting in an office in Nashville, you know, a lot of times they may not know. And then the radio people back in the way well, you've been in it, you do the, the surveys and everything that everybody did back in the 80s and 90s. And, so if you hadn't been playing music for a living, did you have a backup idea, a backup plan, something else that you wanted to do if this wouldn't have worked out? I had a couple of them. I went, um, I went to college. This is this is funny, but I, I never was raised around on a farm. But I, my, my, my uh, major in college was poultry science. I used to could tell you about every kind of chicken there was and stuff. After a couple of years, and I just I got, I went to school year round, and I got so tired of fighting it because I'm probably not the brightest bulb in the pack. Didn't test too well. And I would get on probation off and stuff like that. And then the other thing that I wanted to do was uh, I'm still kind of a, of a of a nerd when it comes to, you know, of course, hunting Indian relics. But anything that has to do with that and trains, I got 
I'd sit, I could sit by when I was a kid, sitting on the creek with my BB gun over in, over in Atlanta, shooting at fish in the water and stuff, and the mainline train would come by. My granddaddy was a railroad man. He lived in a caboose four days a week. And just the romantic part of the, the railroad, you know. Oh, there's something fantastic. I, I like watching them now. I'll stop and watch a freight train. We, got, we got a train in our backyard. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. It's so a, I mean, you got to go back in the woods to see it, but you could hear it at night. And there was one. Yeah, we were out looking at the the Starlink thing the other night that oh, Elon Musk shot up. Yeah. And we had a train going west blowing its whistle and a train going east blowing its whistle. And there's some, there is something. That, like and, and it's kind of like the movie. I, don't, I live 30 miles from Talladega, the racetrack. Never been to a race there. I don't care much about but planes, air shows. It amazes me something that weighs as much as a train flies. You know, yeah. in the air, stuff like this. I'm just, you know, I, I kind of understand it. But mainly working for the railroad. That was, that was what I wanted to do. And back back then, you couldn't. And I'm, like I said, I'm 63 years old. In the late 70s, 78, 79, uh, 78, when I got out of high school, you couldn't get a job at McDonald's. You know, the yeah, it was interest rates were what nineteen percent or something. I don't know, but it was horrible back then. If you got, a, you know, a, and so it wasn't. If it would have been nowadays, I'd probably go to work for the railroad. You know, and it, it was it was tough work, but it was a good job, and I knew it. And I just wanted to ride trains. I I rode a passenger train when I was a little kid from New Orleans back to Gadsden, Alabama, where my mom stayed with my grandmother for about two or three weeks. But I, I can remember those old streamlined trains back then you know what is before amtrak and they're and riding through the woods and seeing that thing you know and rocking and stuff it's just like i said it's kind of nerdy but no that's but cool. uh I, that's kind of that would be my you know my backup i guess or an archaeologist okay <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get the, yeah uh, I'm, I'm gonna ask you some just some uh, some fun questions right you, you've made mention well we've talked don't let me talk too much no no, no I'll I'm, I'm, keeping a, I'm keeping an eye on our clock here because i know okay. you've got to do a autograph session here in a little bit meet and greet all right so you've made comment a couple times you've been married 38 years mm-hmm. where did you take your wife on your honeymoon where did we go we yeah. went down to gulf shores alabama before it was big back 38 years ago there was like two hotels and a restaurant after <laughs> It was open down there. What, what, I mean, it's huge, all that is down there on the coast now, but we kind of had the, uh, we had the hotel pretty much to ourselves and the beach because everybody had gone back to school. The rates went down. You know, we get, went down there and we kind of planned it. And I met Bob Heatherly at Atlantic's wife was down there. She was a salesman and she saw me with a Cook Sound t shirt on out there and she walked up to me on the beach. And that's one of the ways. I got into Nashville. Now that's that's right out of a movie. I went, she came up and my hair was a little longer. She said, you've got to be a musician. I see your shirt, Cook Sound. So on my honeymoon, I met one of my connections in Nashville later on before I could even go up there. That's that's the oddest story in the world. But she gave me a card, said my husband, we just left RCA and was working with somebody else, said, uh, you need to come talk to him. She never heard me play a lick or anything. Like, yes, ma'am, I sure will. Isn't that amazing? It that is. Is. I mean, that's, that's divine intervention. Absolutely. What that is. It's got, you know, the good Lord put us there. Because we, we had the whole beach to ourselves. Miss Heatherly was there and, and maybe another couple. And it was just nothing but just clear. And we had the restaurants. We stayed there a couple of days. And then we went down in Louisiana where my sister stuff, you know, visited some friends and just took our time. But... 
but yeah, that's that's where I went was Gulf Shores, Alabama, before it's that's, big like it is now. What's your favorite food to eat? Oh, probably, probably seafood. I, I like a lot of different things, but if I can go out and eat eat fancy or something like that, crab or or any kind of shrimp fried but I just I love coconut shrimp I've been eating those things here. you're the guy that eats them I always wondered who ate them oh, yeah they, well, they're probably out if you went with it well we fed them all I, I make myself a pig eating that makes you almost get sick like that but I, I like you know chicken steak you know pork pork chops where would you like to go that you've never been this could be musically or it could be a vacation, just someplace you'd like to go that you've never been. Oh, man, that's a that's a tough one. I've been everywhere in the U.S. Uh, we we can talk the whole world. Yeah, oh, the whole world. Well, there's one place I does it count? Some place I could go back to, or just some place I've never been. Some Well, okay, we'll change it. Some place you'd like to go back to. Well, and because I wanted to take my wife there. I mean, I've been to France and stuff, but London, England. And I think it's because we could kind of understand each other. But going over in, in London, just because of the history of it, you know, the all the history over in that part of Europe, the castles, things like that. I've, I've played over there in some of these old castle ruins, and I'm out walking around. Like I was telling you, I'll take off walking somewhere. And we were playing a festival and had a couple of days in Nottinghamshire with Robin Hood, that part of England. Yeah. We were there with Gene Watson and a bunch, of, and I, I went around in town and went in these old castle ruins and stuff, and the, the canals that people still live in those little boats, and you get around, and it was just neat. A lot of World War II, they used to, Germans used to strafe that. We played on the old airfield that the Germans would come over and bomb in England and strafe and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, that's just a cool place, you know. I'm sure there's, I can't say you know, Norway or someplace. You see pictures of it and stuff like that, but just England in general. And then London was just, like I said, just the history of it. You know, the Nottingham, not Nottingham, but uh, uh, Buckingham Palace and stuff. Well, I got to spend a day there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And just the riding the tubes, that's the subway, like same thing in New York, you know. But, uh, and I enjoyed myself. We, Our daughter was a nanny in New York. And I'd been up there, you know, playing and stuff, but I, I had a week up there. We went up to see her, my wife and I, and my sister and brother-in-law, and I enjoyed New York. Like I said, I'm rambling, but I'm talking about just seeing no. stuff like that. You know, I wouldn't want to go up there now. Okay, what is your favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies? Sometimes a lot of oh, people yeah, have a hard I time see. picking out one, but... Yeah, I don't go to a lot of movies anymore. Uh, let's see... Probably, I like old classic historical, like World War II movies, and I'm probably, probably Von Ryan's Express. That old, you know, about the escaping out of the, you know, the, the camp mm -hmm. stuff. There's so many of them, and then the later on, the, the latest movie that I've seen was The Hunt for Red October. So just a well, killer it's, movie. It's a great movie. But I, I've got anything military like that. It doesn't have to be gory, but it's just something that's. It's either happened or could or something realistic, you know. 
We've watched a lot of World War II yeah, movies man. here lately. The Great Escape. I mean, there's a ton of them back in the back in the '60s. The Battle of Britain. You know, some of those. Well, I know what your hobby is, but you kind of touched on it a minute ago. Why don't you tell the listeners what your hobby is? I love hunting Indian relics. If it's a piece of an arrowhead, something that's worked, or I've got some 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 different things, axes and stuff like that. But I found as a as a kid, I found my first one in a cornfield when I was about nine years old with my BB gun out shooting at blackbirds, and I and I got hooked on them. In my on my grandmother's place, that they had a the field and a garden spot where they'd find them, and I never paid that much attention to them. I'd hear them talking about them, and I got hooked on them back then. And any anything that was made thousand or two thousand years ago, whatever, out of a rock that, that people had to survive. You know, back then, you know, it was it was making babies and hunting, fishing, twenty four seven. You know, that's what the men did. You know, you were survival mode, and so anything. And uh, if anybody's likes arrowheads or something, watch a flint knife or take somebody and let them see how they fire the rocks and and chips and how they whittle something out that's deadly out of a out of a. A rock. So if it's broken, if it's been chipped away at us, it's still an arrowhead to me. I've got, I've got good ones, and I've got pieces of them and stuff like that. But I don't leave anything laying there if it's something I pick it up. It just, it's just an interesting. So what's probably your oldest artifact that you have? Oh, I don't know. I don't really know how to date them. The, the, the better the point, which is an arrowhead to call them points. The, the usually the older ones. Now Richard with the headhunters, he likes that stuff too, and he knows the names of them more than I do. But uh, it, it'd be hard, hard for me to say my the oldest one that I have. I've got pieces of pottery. I've got a sandstone grinding bowl, bowl that was there, and, and you know the rock. You found all this stuff. Yes, some some of it. Now some, a lot of it fans have given me stuff. You know, come to a show, somebody I say here. Uh, Lady in Ohio several years ago gave me gave me a an axe head and about six or seven arrowheads and like a some kind of a game stone or something that best I remember that she gave me and I said, Well, I thought she showed it to me. She says, No, I want you to have this. She said, My dad said, My brothers, none of them care anything about it and her dad had passed. And she said, you know, somebody told me you really into this stuff and I said well I am she said well it's yours I want you to have it because they'll wind up giving it away or trying to do something else you appreciate stuff like this and she you know so I've gotten stuff over the years like that you know that that, that people do but and of course I thanked her but I appreciate it I've got my wife stays on me all the time in the room I've, there's piles of guitar cases and I've got about 30 guitars now I got, I've had more and uh that room down there, that office that I have, she says, if you don't organize some of the stuff, it's like a pig trail going to back there, you know, where I and where I work on stuff, where I write. But I've got arrowheads just piled up, pieces of them, broken ones. They're laying there. Somebody don't know what they are. So what's all that busted rock there? Well, they're Indian relics. You look at. <laughs> so you said you've got about thirty guitars. Now I do. Yeah, I've I've had more, but okay. I've, so. Pick one or two that would be your favorites and why they would be your favorites. The one I play on stage now, I've got a black Strat that I that I got probably 20, 
five years ago, and it means a lot to me because of my mom. Now, what I was going to get it, I've had I had some more strats, but I or strat types, and I went to a buddy of mine worked in a pawn shop, and that strat was hanging in there. Some guy had bought it for his daughter. She had never American-made strat. She wanted to play guitar, and then she changed her mind. She wanted a computer, so she sold it to him, traded it in, and I saw it and played it. I said, God, yeah, I said. I, I, this thing doesn't sell. I said, I'm going to come in next week. I didn't have any money in my pocket. And I'd taken my mother down to town just right after my dad had passed. I had the lawnmower and I was getting it serviced, the riding mower. I drove into town, Gadsden, to get that and was going back home. And I said, I'm going to swing in here with it. And I had my mom, you know. My mother had a checkbook, wrote a check for that guitar. Now, you, there's something divine. I, I got to stretch it, but I'll tell you. No, the reason that is, and it's it, it really means so much to me, is uh, I still, and the reason I still play it, my mom wrote a check. I said, Mama, I got, I, let me just go home. I'll go to the bank or do whatever. Get. I had a two-year-old daughter, you know, was working. This was between Stents and Nashville. You know, my wife and I, first house. I didn't have money laying around. I don't now, but just, you know, back then. But, I, you know, I was going to make, he would have held it for me. Mama wrote him a check, and he sold that guitar to me for 300 bucks, and it was worth more than that. But he just, no buddy of mine, he said, just give me that. Still had the plastic on the pit guard. Oh, wow. And uh, anyway, after that was over, I went in, and I, I told Mama, I said, look, she said, oh, yeah, pay me whenever, and or don't even worry about it. She didn't want it. She wanted to just, I said, no, you can't just go out and buy. I said, Mama, this, I, I got this. I got that. I paid her. I think a week or so later when I had I kept some extra money, I had a hundred dollars I was going to give her, but you know, to work on it. She didn't want it. She said, no, just we'll worry about that later. I went out and this is, this, this is a God's honest truth. About a, two or three weeks later, I came out of that bar I was playing in, walking out the parking lot to go get in my truck and I saw something doing this over on the side and there was a wad of $20 bills that was rolling the breeze had it that night rolling across the parking lot fell out of somebody's pocket that was as big around as a beer can and it was right at three hundred dollars that was there with twenty dollar bills and i gave it and i went and gave that to my mother and she didn't want to take it then but i said good lord wanted me to have this guitar because that just you know no reason at all and it wouldn't have done any good because you know everybody that was drunk coming out of the bar you know, somebody lost 300 bucks but it was a roll of 20s and stuff like that that's uh and so that guitar and i i got some different pickups and stuff that put in that a friend of mine that was a guitar builder put in and it's probably i've used that guitar on more recordings and it's my main guitar i've got all these guitars but it's the one i still use on stage every night because it just just that i mean the sentimental value and it just sounds good it feels good it's my favorite one sounds like you've had a few of these divine interventions i have I'm, and i am so thankful you know just i'm so lucky i never take a minute of playing guitar for granted i never have every time i sign something take a picture with something people yeah you know, i'm thankful because there's a lot of guys that know a whole lot more than me i'm just i'm just a guitar player but there's guys out there that can that forget more in a day than I learned the rest of my life. And then, but I've just, you know, I've been lucky with a lot of help from people, Jeff Cook, people like that, people that I've met along the way that enabled me to get in. Like I said, I knew Danny from the barroom days. And then, uh, you know, Mark Wills sang one of my songs and we were doing those demos. He sang that when he's trying to get his record deal.
and just uh, just just been in the right place, you know, and had and got to get out and meet a lot of people. That's that's kind of that's how we met. You just yes. walked right up to me first time I met you, and I met you before, but not like. Who's this you. guy? He won't shut up. And you walked up to us and just started talking, and I thought, I like this guy. Hey, well, I like this guy. That's just me, man. I, I'm I I try to enjoy life, and I'm and there again, I'm thankful for what I've got and what's been handed to me. You know, to do this. If it all ended tomorrow, man, I've got a story to tell. I can tell you the rest of my life. It's, it sounds like you ought to write a book. I well. I would, but I'd probably get myself in trouble with a lot of people if I tell, if I told the truth. You know, you just kind uh, of just go yeah. around those things, but that's right. Yeah, no, I, I, I literally could because, you know, the stuff, club stuff. You know, you can play ten o'clock at night to four in the morning, five nights a week, six nights a week. I couldn't do that now if I had to. You know, we did, you know, play so many nights back. You don't even know what day it is. You're just going in and playing and. Places you know, full of drunk, cigarette smoke, everything. The old honky tonks, roadhouses. I've played them. I've seen, I've seen more stuff than I wanted to see. Sure, you have. Yes. Well, Rusty, I want to say thanks for being my guest on Sights and Sounds. Mm -hmm. It's been an honor to have you. I enjoy talking to you every every time you're out there, and really just thanks for taking the time to do this. Man, I'm honored. I appreciate it. I don't. I don't get to do a whole lot of radio interviews. I hope I didn't bore anybody, but this is just an old, old boy from Alabama's way that came up the ropes and, and or the ladder, I should say, and got got lucky and got to meet a lot of cool people like y'all. Well, I so appreciate that, I, and I think that's what listeners like to hear. I think listeners like to hear that musicians or you know movie stars. I don't interview any of them. Race car drivers, I've interviewed. They're people. They're yeah, they're just like Eric. Everybody gets up morning, puts their shoes on, and puts their pants on. And yeah. I think people love that well, it, real sensation of. And me, something else I do where I live now. I live out, way out of Birmingham, and there's an old. We've got a hardware store, and a company, kind of like a general store. And every day you walk in that store, and there's railroad band pictures hanging in there, old wooden floor. But I drink coffee with a bunch of older guys every morning, and people come in. I've I've signed stuff to come in and say, what are you doing? And I drive around in a little Sentra. I don't get need a big car. I just my little old car down there and people, they said, why are you driving that? Why are you do?" I said, man, this is just me. I don't care. You know, they think because you sign stuff, but I'm, I'm about as plain as you can get. I just, I just like the simple things in life. That small town growing up, you know, just appreciate it. It doesn't have to be. You know, an ice cream social is a big thing to me. Even if I'm a diabetic, I'm going to go to it. <laughs> you know, just that's just, just kind of the way it is. Well, thanks again for Thank being you. our guest, I, and I, I greatly appreciate it. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you so much.